I'm Alan. I'm Kaylee. And my name is Danielle. And you are listening to Target Snark It, a weekly podcast from Broad Digital Consulting. I am Danielle. My pronouns are she, her, and I am the chief broad in residence. I'm Kaylee. My pronouns are also she, her, and I'm the senior strategy consultant at Broad, or the person you call when Danielle is busy. I'm Alan. My pronouns are they, them, and I'm lovingly considered Broad's chief annoyance officer in my role as project manager and operations. And uh, we are likely quite new to your ears because we are kicking this off in the year of our Spagliato 2023. That's probably old news now, I'm sure, but... It's all right. It's still very cool. Very cool and very queer. Right, right. Coming to you from the past. So let me give you a quick rundown of uh, what the hell we're doing here. We are from Broad Digital Consulting, and we are a boutique consulting firm specializing in digital strategy. But even more than that, we specialize in having lots of opinions. Mm -hmm. Uh, We've been listening to marketing and business podcasts for a while, and we wanted to fill what we felt was a gap in the podcast sphere to talk really candidly and um, probably sometimes profanely about marketing and business. You know, there's a, a lot of shady shit out there and we want to talk about it. We center our business approach around responsible, ethical, sustainable marketing, and that's what we really want this podcast to be about as well. Finally, we want our podcast to be about action. There are a million podcasts out there. If you want to talk about marketing theory or just hear marketing news and updates, we are not that. So in the coming weeks, look for us to talk with each other and with some of our favorite marketing and business professionals all over the world to talk about translating marketing theory into action and making the best possible decisions for your brands and your audience. And also how to do marketing really well without dubious, weird shortcuts or worse, annoying and alienating your whole audience. So this week, we are here to talk about the viral ad that JMB Whiskey put out before the holidays in Spain. Obviously, we are not in Spain. And also, well, I guess that's maybe not obvious. I don't know. (laughs) Obviously. uh, And obviously, some time has passed since the ad came out. So you're probably not thinking about it anymore. But right now, we're recording. And it was just recently released uh, now here coming to you from the past. And we think that there is still plenty to talk about, even now in the future. (laughs) (laughs) Do you like how we just like time jumps like that? Uh, And plenty to think about and learn from. We're going to talk about what the JMB Whiskey ad is, where it is in the larger campaign that JMB Whiskey, along with its owners, Diageo, is running. Uh, Some of the backstory on Diageo to include some of the ill repute is the house of ill repute and whether the ad itself was truly groundbreaking and like whether it made us cry spoiler i'm pretty sure all of us cried a little bit it's like it's (laughs) fine and if it is dark or uh you know kind of what happens after the crying is done and you start doing some critical thinking about the ad. So uh, we're going to start with what this ad even is. Kaylee, why don't you tell us a little bit about the ad, especially for folks who either didn't see it 
or saw it. And as we all sat in the car last night and argued with one, what, with one another, like what it's actually about. Yeah, for sure. Unless you are living in Spain, you most likely saw this ad on TikTok. The Spanish ad takes place during the holiday season with an older gentleman finding his wife's makeup after it's fallen out of his purse, her purse. Then uh, he grabs the lipstick, locks the door of the bathroom and puts on the lipstick and is kind of upset with how he looks in it. Over the next few scenes, you start seeing this old man continue to look at models on billboards, seeing how their eye makeup is done online, looking at photos of his wife and how she's presented herself and even purchases his own makeup from a store. So while at the beginning of this ad, we the viewers really believe that this story is about an older man experimenting with his gender expression. But in the second half of the ad, we're introduced to a new character, the grandchild Alvaro. The old man takes his grandchild into the bathroom, puts on the teenager's makeup just as he has been practicing, and introduces them to the family at Christmas. Alvaro, now Anna, is accepted, hugged by the family members as the grandfather slowly, with a tear in his eye, steps back to raise a glass of J&B whiskey for a cheers. <laughs> I really like that you, like, were very intentional about the Spanish pronunciation of that. Yes. That was very good. Thank I didn't you. Rude. <laughs> so that's a that's a rundown of the ad. Excellent. Um, Alan, I know you read a lot in in preparation for this podcast because we did a lot of preparation Definitely. for the podcast. I I know you read a lot about just kind of like where this ad landed in the overall campaign that JMB Whiskey has going on right now around equity and inclusion of LGBTQ audiences. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So I wanted to know, like, is this a one-off ad? And it turns out in the comments in TikTok, people were talking about, hey, follow the link at the end of this ad and you'll cry more, basically. <laughs> um, and so the link is iganas.com, um, H-A-Y-G-A-N-A-S. And it's a landing page for an entire Christmas campaign. And they really highlight this, this fact that 77% of trans or non-binary people, for them, family was the most difficult setting in their transition process. And this is pulled from a you know, study that the ministry in Spain did specifically on non-binary people. And I followed that all the way through to the end. So they say that they're making making a Christmas carol, quote, of acceptance for all. You can click at the end to another page where they say these ads aren't all they're doing for the community. And you find out they've traveled around and basically created Pride Fests all throughout Spain in different right. towns. They coined the term sexilio, taking it to the media and to the Congress in Spain. And do you guys know this is about coming out and then feeling exiled from your, your family? Is that your understanding of what sexilio is? Or like and any, if you're just a part of the community and feel exiled by your family, that's what I understood it as. Sure, sure. Yeah, and it's hard not being in Spain, knowing how well that actually took off colloquially. Right. Because right. we're obviously not in Spain. <laughs> obviously, <laughs> we're not in Spain. You know this. <laughs> you can literally see that. Okay. Yeah, and this is interesting to note for later. This term, them coining this term, because Danielle later is going to talk about the history of the company, which I think we'll come around to. They created an anthem, and okay. it's called Volver for non-Spanish speakers. That's to return. And apparently, they're releasing a documentary about the um, queer community in rural Spain to be released. 
Then there's also an additional ad with like this pink pride truck and all these fabulous queer and trans people driving through rural towns and creating like a party with the locals. And it was actually quite touching in a different way. So, yeah, I mean, like I, I think, you know, we all, we all watched it. Uh, Mm -hmm. Kaylee, I think you posted it in the Slack channel that we're in and that's how I saw it. And then when Tyler and I were picking the two of you up last night, he actually brought it up to me and like, he cried and like, (laughs) you know, I I do want to preface this by saying too, like all of the voices that you're hearing on this podcast, um, we are all queer, uh, identify, you know, across the LGBTQ, LGBTQ spectrum. And so we feel particularly qualified, I think, invested to be able to speak on this. Obviously, we don't speak for all queer people or even all queer people in marketing, as I would assume that most of the queer people who work with Diageo, who are are proud of these campaigns, may not uh, agree with some of the the conversation points that we will have. Um, but, you know, I think I think it it hit us all hit us all in the heartstrings a little bit. And I think like part of the reason that I wanted to talk about this and, and I think this is maybe, I don't even know if it's just getting older. I don't know if it's the world post 2016, post 2020, you know, these, uh, these big milestones that feel for me, like I get a little bit more cynical each year. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I don't know, but it's a little bit like, um, you know, how social media people would share these like supposedly heartwarming stories, right? And it was like this heartwarming story about how, uh, you know, some guy who works for an accounting firm uh, wasn't allowed to take vacation to uh, help his kid go through surgery to remove a brain tumor. So everybody pooled their vacation days to give to him. And it's like supposed to be this really heartwarming story about like the kindness of others. But what we miss while we're celebrating the kindness of others is the absolute fucking cruelty Absolutely. of a company that won't give a father vacation time to right. be with his child in a life-altering and potentially fatal surgery. Mm-hmm. Like, are you fucking kidding me? So I think because of things like that and because we've had our eyes opened a little bit more to the sometimes weird shady nature of some of these like performative or inspirational things that get shared. I think that, you know, now I I just give a little bit more pause to these sorts of inspirational messages that often go around because there are a lot of times that, that we're meant to focus on the inspiration we're meant to focus on the message in this JMB whiskey ad, and that's supposed to satiate us a bit. Um, and so, like I said, I'm cynical, maybe. And my first thought when I, after I stopped crying, <laughs> I was like, "This is so so weird." Because I and, and really like uh, you know, as as we'll get to later in the conversation, I was still reading this ad very much as this elderly man um, was also uh, playing with his own gender expression and felt like he couldn't, but that, you know, uh, his grandchild maybe, you know, would be able to do the thing that he was ever able to do. And so that was really meaningful. Um, But then I started thinking about what I know about the DJO brand and uh, kind of what that background is. 
You know, and and they are well known in the business world for being uh, one of the best places to work for LGBTQ people. They've been named that, you know, given that distinction nine years in a row, I think, from the human rights campaign. Um, They have a track record of supporting these LGBTQ causes and equality. But I couldn't help but think about back in 2017, one Hollis Bullet. Uh, who was the first lady of bourbon. Is that what we were talking about yeah. earlier? Yeah. So Hollis Bullet uh, was the daughter of the man who founded Bullet, which is owned by Diageo. And back in 2017, she alleged that she was fired the day before or the day after Christmas. It was like... The day after. Yeah, the day after Christmas was fired because she wouldn't keep quiet about her her sexual identity her orientation uh and that she is a lesbian uh, and brought her girlfriend with her to a party not only did Diageo say no 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 that's not true but they were not shy about saying that she was making false allegations that they were patently untrue that she was lying and they're saying no her contract expired she didn't agree to the new terms uh she quit But there's a lot of stuff that Hollis Bullet has provided receipts for over the years to include her father, who was the founder of Bullet and had a pretty decent stake in it still, I believe, even though Diageo had owned it and purchased it, um, that he molested her. He was ousted from the brand. And now, I mean, there's not been any resolution between her and Diageo, it doesn't seem like. And Kaylee, you were saying that like they've removed not just the history of the family from of bu- uh, the Bullet family from the Diageo website, but like you can't even really find the brand on there. Is that correct? Yeah, their website. So if you go to the Diageo website and you look at our brands, it gives you a big list. It'll give you some of the bigger names like Casamigo. Guinness is one of their bigger ones. But only when you Google search Bullet by Diageo will you then pop up their website or their landing page for Bullet on the website. So not necessarily is it something that they advertise on the Diageo Diageo website, but it is something you can find that they still own it. So for a while, I didn't even know they still owned Bullet. Another thing just to think about with Hollis Bullet's website that she has available, she still has those receipts up. She has her father's affidavit of what he said versus what she said and includes a link to her original Facebook post with all these allegations. So those receipts are still very much out there. And that's kind of what she's been doing the last five years. Well, and I know, too, that even though um, I mean, she she's made it very clear that it was her family that had a problem with her sexual orientation Um, But from what I understand, the allegations are that because her dad at the time was still a very influential voice in the brand, that he uh, had pressured or influenced Diageo to drop her, essentially, and distance her from the brand, that uh, what her life, quote unquote, lifestyle, I'm making air quotes for (laughs) those of you who don't know that we're obviously not in Spain, (laughs) and like that, um, that, you know, that her her, her quote unquote lifestyle was detrimental to the brand. It was inconsistent with the brand. A lot of bars and even home bartenders started dropping the brand. I remember when it all happened, we stopped drinking. Yeah. And then it was funny because like 
not like haha funny, but like, you know, in 2017, we were like, oh my God, no, like we, we are queer. We support queer people. We're not doing that. Right. Uh, and then like later it sounded like it got resolved. So we were like, oh, okay, we could start mm-hmm. buying bullet again. And then Hollis Bullet came out with the allegations and the receipts that her father molested her. And we were like, fuck, okay, we can't, we can't drink bullet again. And so we stopped buying bullet again. And then DGO announced that they ousted him and we were like, you know what? We're just not going to drink it. Yeah, Cause yeah. like, this is getting too fucking confusing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, and so um, bars start dropping the brand, home bartenders start dropping the brand. The the Bullet family has been removed. Uh, there are There is reason to believe that Diageo needs to make up for this hit to their reputation in this. Uh, and Kaylee, you were saying that there was also something around, uh, there were brands that David Beckham was behind? Yes. So... Uh, Diageo also owns Haga Club, which is a whiskey that David Beckham is the main brand ambassador for. And recently he has been under fire for being the brand ambassador for the 2022 World uh, World Cup, which is now over. Congratulations, Argentina. <laughs> and, uh, we're not there either. We're not. We're, there not, there we're obviously not. not obviously. <laughs> yeah. But David Beckham has been the face of the World Cup. Obviously, he's one of the biggest football players out there. But because this year specifically, they had the huge trial around uh, whether gay and trans players can even be a part of football and the World Cup. Um, you also have obviously a lot of things happening in Qatar with a lot of the Muslim issues going on uh, within the communities that they are asking David Beckham to be taken out as the brand ambassador for Haga Club. And so, you know, Beckham is making money off of this ambassadorship. Millions of dollars. Mil- that's, yeah, very good point. <laughs> yeah, he was not making $5. Yeah. <laughs> he was making millions of dollars off of this ambassadorship to what is, I wouldn't even say arguably, I think it's definitively the most anti-trans, anti-queer World Cup uh, that that we've ever had, yeah. uh, to the point where there were going to be um, suspensions, withdrawals for teams that even uh, appeared to be supporting queer rights at all with armbands or something on their jersey or anything like that. Um, so... For this organization that has this great track record uh, from the human rights campaign, which is not uh, without some controversy itself uh, from time to time, you know, they've got this this track record of being a great place to work. They have an LGBTQ ERG, which um, for those of you playing along at home is an employee resource group, uh, if you were not aware, where, you know, you have a company that essentially creates a safe space for a marginalized group, uh, such as, you know, LGBTQ community resource group that maybe helps um, bring queer employees together, have a safe space to vent or discuss things help move policy forward at an organization. I know I was friends with uh, somebody who was a pretty active participant in the <laughs> the the previous iteration of Twitter, uh, their LGBTQ ERG, and they helped plan their pride float every year and things like that in San Francisco. 
So uh, Diageo has this this sort of ERG. Uh, we also know, though, um, from many brands that ERGs are not necessarily uh, some kind of definitive marker that queer employees really have it better or yeah. even equal, right? And so, yeah, I mean, you've got you've got some really loud PR people talking about this, and you have some queer employees who are really positive voices inside of the community and, and mouthpieces for the brand. I think it's an interesting thing to consider, especially when we talk about rainbow capitalism. Alan, do you want to maybe give a brief rundown of like rainbow capitalism and uh, you know what it is and why we're critical of it just in general? Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. So Rainbow capitalism, as far as I, my understanding of it, is just the criticism of large corporations, bigger companies taking something rainbow and putting it on their logo and saying, we did a really good job. You're welcome for supporting you gays, essentially, without having done any of the real work to support their employees, support the broader community. And also it's, it's exploitative. It's like, if we do these things, gay people will buy our stuff or do our services, but we don't have to really give anything back besides be rainbow. Right. Right. And, you know, change our logo for one month out of every year and then immediately forget. <laughs> right. Right. And then, oh, and on top of that, like Target selling all of mm-hmm. selling binders, which is actually its own cool thing. Again, nuance, but like, selling t-shirts with rainbows on them like literally profiting off of this thing that is like our identity you could have it year round too if they're binders yeah i wonder if i wonder if they do but yeah yeah i i think that that's you know the the discussion that we're kind of uh leading into the broad or discussion if you will is uh, where, you know, where do brands really fit into social justice discussions? You've got a whiskey brand that is making this very long ad too, right? Like we we all remarked on like how long this ad was. And at the end of it, it didn't really seem to sell whiskey, but also did we want it to? Like where, where do brands fit into this conversation? And is this a diversion from some of the things that have gone on? Is this authentic change? I don't know. What are what are your thoughts? So my thought would be, if it's going to be authentic change, that there should be discussion about what happened with Hollis, and Bull- Hollis Bullet then. For example, why are we not talking about the fact that we basically just completely swept the only gay ambassador of any of our brands at this time now, completely swept her under the rug, got rid of her family's history around this brand and we're now trying to basically just pretend like she never was a part of it there wasn't really any discussion about what had actually happened to her any apologies for it and no real discussion on how to move forward with bullet overall as well which had to be more difficult with 2019 with the father allegations but that being said if there's going to be authentic change why are you not offering resources or additional information. It just seems like the content, at least on the landing page, is still in the end telling you to buy this whiskey because we're so good, not necessarily just 
we want to let you know what we're doing good. Here's things that you can do, but a lot more of, see, we're, we like trans people and non-binary people. So buy our whiskey. They like skipped a step. Like, have you ever had someone apologize to you, but they skipped the apology part and Mm -hmm. they're just like, this is what I'm going to do better. Yeah. And you're like in this state of mind and it's like, well, but can you say, but do you, do you feel bad? Do you understand why I feel bad? Do you, have you learned from this? And then, then we can create solutions. And I love that thing, but it's like, they skipped a step Yeah, and it's a pretty big one. And you used the word shady earlier. It's shady that wise bullet hidden on their main website. Like it's almost that they're like, okay, shut this up. Keep this quiet. And we'll be really loud over here. Mm-hmm. Right. They want to show off all the Smirnoff bottles that are rainbow print that you see in Target, just like you were saying, every June. They want to talk about what was the brand that I had mentioned. They have another brand, either Smirnoff or Guinness. Johnny Walker is also doing drag races across Canada. Um, They have all these other brands that are doing so much for the LGBTQ community. But why are we not talking about this one where you have this kind of horrific history with? Right. It just seems like you're trying to hide that. Well, I think it's also interesting. As you were talking, I remembered reading an article earlier this year, again, about Bullet. (laughs) This was this year. This was April of 2022. Oh, sorry. We're in the past still. Last year. April of 2022. (laughs) Uh, So nearly a year ago now. Um, Ebony Major was the first black blender at Bullet, the first um, black like major distiller. And uh, she launched a discrimination lawsuit against Diageo saying that she faced severe and pervasive discrimination, including being treated worse than white women who were also in the distillery and just constant microaggressions during the five years that she was there. And interestingly enough, Diageo also said very similar things to dismiss that kind of discrimination allegation uh, as they did with Hollis. So granted, we're talking about the queer community, but there are crossroads here. There are intersections. This is a pattern. Mm -hmm. And when you talk to, like, we know that there are not, not every queer person is upstanding all the time, right? Like, uh, we talked about this earlier, we will all be equal when we're allowed to be all different types of personalities, but that's not the case right now. And right now, you're an organization that is ultimately profiting off of these stories, and then asking us to disbelieve a queer woman. You are asking us to believe a corporation over this queer woman whose story, frankly, squares up with more of what we understand as lived experience. Um, You know, when uh, (laughs) I've been in marketing a long time, and at the end of the day, I'm typically more inclined to believe the person coming out against the company than I am to believe the company itself. Uh, whether through a series of missteps, um, just also being a part of of brands and conversations and mistakes that get made and whatnot, like things that get ignored that we know about. We've worked for for major brands that have terrible cultural issues Mm -hmm. uh, that, you know, if you were to talk to any of the mouthpieces for said brands would deny it up and down and would point to employee resource groups and would would point to surveys, which I also think like, 
surveys about being the best place to work, it, that's a that's a tough thing, right? A lot of people don't fill out surveys. Honestly, a lot of people, a lot of organizations uh, either incentivize positive yeah. responses or demand positive responses. So surveys in and of themselves in terms of being the best place to work for, for any marginalized population I take that with a grain of salt, right? Like, you know, when was the last time somebody was able to sit down in a room with these people and they felt completely safe to share their stories? So I think that that's something to to consider. I also wonder, you know, in terms of, of what we're doing here with this population, there has been more and more criticism in recent years that... um Often liquor brands come out in support of queer equality, LGBTQ equality around pride because we gays drink a lot of booze. And this is right, like, right, like, so, but there's also a serious problem with substance use, overuse, and abuse inside mm-hmm. of our community, and especially during the holidays, for all of the reasons that you outlined too earlier, Alan, like how many of these people feel alienated from their homes. And it's part of the reason that substance overuse and abuse occurs uh, is, you know, is struggles, trauma, interpersonal mm-hmm. struggles, family struggles, depression. Is it responsible? I mean, at the end, I don't think at the end of the day that it's responsible for liquor companies to be able to or to be making these broad statements. Like, I just don't think at the end of the day, my opinion is when they put on ads, they're still advertising. It's whether or not it's for inspiration, whether or not it's to show what they're doing better. They're showing you they're getting you inspired. They're showing you they're doing better so that you buy it. So like. Yeah, I just I don't really think that there's a responsible way unless they're offering like, I I don't even know, unless you're doing like a trigger warning of if you're not good, if you have issues during the holidays, like, I I don't know the way to split it that way, especially with liquor specifically. Yeah, I mean, the word targeting just comes to mind, like Mm -hmm. positive or negative message. They're targeting a community, right? And like. I know we do that all day, every day, but like with substances, right. That, that the community has an issue with. I mean, I mentioned cigarettes earlier, like, like big tobacco coming for the queer community. I don't know. Like you said something that I was going to respond to and now I forgot. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think that, um, you know, when, when I watched this, after I got over my inspiration, oh thank God! Um, you know, it was it was. Uh, what the fuck does this have to do with whiskey? And and then my next thought was, well, actually, is it better that I can't tell the connection to the whiskey? Does that mean they're doing it because they're just really kind and good people? But on some level, it was always about the whiskey. It just didn't feel cohesive as an add to me perhaps i don't know what what are your thoughts there oh you know i remember what i thought is yeah like if they were taking 
all the money they got from this ad and mm-hmm. giving it to trans organizations, I feel mm. like that would be a totally different conversation, right? But like now they're profiting and we're asking the question, what's the connection here and why? Because I think that we're we're at a point now in society and, and I think we can all agree society moves faster than brands do. Fuck, it moves faster than any of us as individuals, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like 10 years ago, I was not aware of they, them pronouns, period, right? But now they have become part of just the general like societal vernacular. It's a constant conversation mm-hmm. that we're seeing. And so these things do change. And I understand that. But you're you're right. I mean, like this this idea that like, that awareness is enough when it's not we know that it's not we know that it's not we uh there was you know this this question around like tita of trans day of visibility where it's like is it enough to be visible like we are visible i uh, not not we as in me i, I don't identify that way i want to i want to be clear and not uh misinform but like trans people are visible and they are targets. Mm-hmm. So what the fuck are you doing about it now? Like, it's great. And maybe, maybe this is a cultural conversation. There's a cultural touchstone that we're missing here because we're not in Spain, obviously. And like, we're not in, even in a rural area, right? Like, I, you know, two of the three of us are in, in major cities and one of us is in, in like Florida. a retirement <laughs> <laughs> the most retired Gen Z uh never met. Um no, I mean like there there is a question of is that awareness is, is that awareness enough? Are they are they donating to trans organizations? Do they care about you know homelessness inside of the trans community or uh, suicide rates in the trans community or, you know, um, domestic violence rates inside of the trans community. There is this concept of like, it's really beautiful to have that acceptance, but I would also challenge in the ad. It didn't look like this family wasn't particularly accepting beforehand. Yeah. Like, man, that fast. Like, <laughs> Yeah. That's not how it works. <laughs> but also, I guess, how did the grandpa know? I think that there is some question with some of the things that I was reading that, like, the the family knew. Yeah, and they did. But just nobody knew how to do anything. I, nobody, I don't know. Nobody wanted to tell grandpa. Or, right. Like, this ad, first of all, was beautiful. It was really beautifully done. I think the storyline, it obviously we all cried. One company and one commercial that I think tried to do the exact same thing, and we all know it as the biggest fail, it's the Kendall Jenner Pepsi commercial of them trying to bring Pepsi into the conversation of police brutality and Black Lives Matter. But at the end of the day, it's Kendall Jenner giving a cup of Pepsi. It's, it's like a white girl. Yeah. Like oh, what white is, girl what solved does this racism. have to do with racism? What does this have to do with police brutality? Like, what are you, what are we doing here, guys? Like right. right. Also, why are we protesting in the middle of a photo shoot? Like any of this, none of it makes sense. And and that is even more, I think, pointed in terms of like, we were here to sell Pepsi. <laughs> like that was that was very much like a you know that this solves police violence, right? Like <laughs> Pepsi doesn't. 
And, and that was even more pointed and, and, you know, more, more tone deaf, I think, because it was more pointed to me, this is slightly more confusing. And maybe that's where like the inspiration porn of it all, like mm-hmm. gets people because like, okay, you know how, like the, impo- the, the impossible burger is the one that bleeds, right? I think the impossible burger is the I one think. that bleeds like, like an actual, like red meat burger. And Tyler and I were talking about this the other day. The Impossible Burger was not made for vegetarians because vegetarians don't need their food to bleed. <laughs> you know, like just, I, something's missing from this. Wow. Like, and so, and so the Impossible Burger wasn't made for vegetarians. It was made for people who eat meat who are trying to make more plant-based choices, right? Like KFC is doing some plant-based chicken and people are like, this isn't for vegetarians. They weren't eating at KFC, right? Like, no. <laughs> It's it's to get people to make more plant-based decisions, right? So there's this question of like, yeah, but okay, what about vegetarians, et cetera, et cetera. Connecting the dots here. Was this ad for cis people? We talked about this a bit. And even Tyler said the only people he knows that drank J&B whiskey are like grandpas. Like the, the grandpa we're talking about is most likely the person who bought the whiskey for Christmas. So is it for grandparents to accept their grandkids is that the point i i don't think it was unless it was really trying to be that and genuine question does it change anything if we know who this was intended for right like if it's intended for grandpa does that change our feeling about it versus it's intended Because, I mean, you go through TikTok and you know the people commenting on TikTok are likely young, likely queer, like, and it impacted that community, clearly. But what about the straights? What about the cis's? Yeah. That's a technical (laughs) term. The cis's. The transes, we call them the (laughs) cis's. I'm literally just making that up. Sorry. You can cut that. Right. I, yeah, I mean, does does it matter? I don't. I don't know that it does. I think. I think one of the things that is both powerful, you know, impactful, but also potentially insidious about good advertising, good creative, is that it it evokes that kind of visceral emotion, like this ad did. Yeah. But also, if the focus then if the if if we're centering the product if we're centering the audience that is not marginalized if we are centering the cookies for caring about trans people then at the end of the day does the inspiration like whether or not it impacted people is that enough? I would assume when you're a brand that large, and I would say not even JV, Diageo as a whole, it's probably more awareness for them. Cause I still think at the end of the day, they're trying to bury the Hollis bullet story. I do think that's what they're trying to do. I didn't know about them until yesterday evening when you said, Did you see this TikTok? Sure. You know? But I will say, and I I keep sitting here thinking about this as we're talking is I'm like, as a trans and queer person, like, how did it, how does it feel to watch that video? 
and still it feels really nice. Like, and we've talked about this visibility, awareness, whatever, but like also the possibility, even if it's to sell whiskey, the possibility that it might reach some grandpas, like is really touching for me to think about. Sure. You know, so. Or just the idea of you coming home and being accepted like that instantaneously. Yeah. Yeah. And does advertising somehow in this way shape media? on a larger scale where we start to see more representation and then that makes a difference. I think that that's the constant argument around pride, right? Mm -hmm. Is like a lot of us look at this and we go, cool, fuck your rainbow logo. Like where is everything that we need? And there are still a lot of folks inside of the queer community who are like, no, you know what? I remember when rainbow logos weren't a thing. And now that they are and they're everywhere, like that normalizes things. I mean, I I would I would posit or I, I would toss out how far has normalization gotten us. Right. Cause, you know, because in the year of our Spagliato 2023, we are <laughs> we're keeping it queer. Um <laughs> like we are still. Like, literally, by the time this podcast comes out, we could have a SCOTUS case with this wedding web designer who's not even a wedding web designer yet in Colorado who's bringing a preemptive case to be able to not provide services to queer couples getting married. And if it goes up to SCOTUS, we are not sitting in a position where it's going to be favorable for the queer community. Mm -hmm. We are still battling bathroom bills. We have states that are considering registries for trans people. Texas. Right. Like, like it sounds like a rounding them up situation. Right. right? Like, so I like, I believe in representation. I also wonder if the rep, if it needs to be representation and You know, that like, yes, I think that like, can we sit back and like, you know, feel good about this? Like we did it, Joe, kind of a thing. Like, can we do that? But also like, how how do you, how do you get across to people by saying, but there needs to be more without seeming like old queer yelling at a cloud? Like, you know what I mean? I mean, I guess to bring it back to marketing, I, is the goal just awareness where we is there KPIs reaching impressions? That's like a great yeah. fucking point. Uh, if there was a strong like I, in my head, I wish there was a stronger call to action. I wish there was something on that landing page we could have done after because the video was so powerful. It made us search for the landing page. Like so, I think if there was something of donate here, here are resources. If you don't have families to go to in Spain, like something that's just a little bit more, it was such a powerful ad that I feel like if we're only focusing on awareness, it it did its job. It was beautiful, but it kind of fell flat in terms of actually helping the community. And Alan, you said this when you were going to that page to look at that campaign, you were like, well, they have a whole page of everything that they've done for the campaign. And it was about the brand and what the brand did Mm -hmm. for the gays and the transes. And it wasn't about 
the community or, or helping the community, or, you know, we were just talking about this earlier, liquor is not really a D to C like e-com space. Right. So it's not like they could drive people to go out and buy JMB whiskey. That's what, I mean, liquor, liquor advertising is tough that way. Right. Mm-hmm. Because like you can't really measure return on ad spend for any of this because you have to sell through partners. But if this was for the the queer community, if we really do care, then what can we drive people to do mm-hmm. about that? I think, yeah, I think that there's, I want to see more ads that center marginalized experiences. I want to see more ads, more interaction on television and movies with trans people where we don't center trauma all the I was time. Just gonna say, like, <laughs> how about we just put trans people in ads? Well, yeah. <laughs> Even just like the that's fact, awareness. Yeah, right. like, the fact that the grandchild, it to me, uh, they seem non-binary. Like it wasn't even a transition. It was just like I feel like it's really talking about like those early stages of transitioning, which I guess was the point of the ad. But like. I, I don't know. I just, I really liked it. I thought it was visually beautiful. I just, as a marketer, I wish there was something else like that next thing, yeah. even if it's a second video where they're doing alternative storylines, like more videos like this. Last thoughts? No, I have none. I'm a smooth brain. Colin, <laughs> <laughs> would you buy J and B whiskey because of this ad? Would oh, you even no. try it? Yeah. You would try yeah, it? Yeah, I probably would at minimum try it. I don't know if I would buy it. Okay. But I'd try it. If I didn't know that they were owned by Diageo, same, who had Bullet in their portfolio, I honestly, even even as critical as I am, I'm a, I'm a sucker for a mm-hmm. good, you know, powerful ad queer ally. Like, I'd buy it if if I didn't know about the CD <laughs> underbelly. Yeah, that. I want to add an asterisk to my yeah. answer. Yeah. What about you? I mean, I fucking hate whiskey, so. Fair, fair. <laughs> uh, you know, I think it's important to note that, you know, throughout this podcast, and not, not just this episode, but really throughout all of our episodes, we're really big on learning in public. Uh, you know, n- we are people uh, in in our organization who believe in education and who believe in learning both, you know, for our clients as well as for ourselves. And that means being wrong sometimes. And that means having these conversations. Uh, as a matter of fact, I think one of the things that our, cl- our clients value the most about us is that we do bring all of the different perspectives to the table. And we say, which one of these choices do you want to make based on all of these different perspectives? And so it's one of the things that really makes the concept of a podcast so powerful for us is that we uh, have never been accused of having a shortage of opinions, but also uh, we try to explore all different sides to get to the place that feels the rightest. Uh, you know, this podcast ultimately is going to be censored on responsible, ethical, sustainable, and honest marketing. And uh, I think it's our our ethos that really there may not be any right way to do marketing, but there are a lot of wrong ways to do marketing. And we want to talk about uh, the wrong ways, but we also want to talk about the right ways to be able to do this. Because yes, marketing is about capitalism at its core. And you'll find that all of us are, you know, aware of the late stage capitalism world that we live in and we traffic in it. We, we make money off of it. We're not going to sit here and (laughs) deny that, right? Like that is part of what we do. 
But I think that there is power in that cognitive dissonance. The cognitive dissonance does not need to be a bad phrase. It does not need to be a bad term. And it's something that we should wrestle with and we should ask ourselves about. And we do every time that we take on a new client or a new campaign or a brand. We also feel like even though marketing is about capitalism, it's also, it can be human. It doesn't mean it can't be human. And we want for brands and for our clients and uh, for our listeners to be able to focus on humans. But for brands to focus on humans, it has to be real. It has to be authentic. It has to come from a place of genuine care for humans. And people will know if it's not. And that's part of these conversations is that caring about humans has to care about the downstream implications as well. What does this mean? And I think that we pretty well covered that with, you know, what is the call to action here? Are they donating to trans organizations? What does that look like? It can't be a bait and switch just to sell products. Like, yes, you are trying to sell products, but that should be the reasonable end to humans wanting to align with your brand because you care about them as they want to buy the products. So I think the big thing to take home from this is, you know, what are the downstream implications of the type of message that you're sending? Uh, What does awareness do or are we stopping at the water's edge? Uh, We think that, you know, it's healthy and good to question ads, question brands, question marketing strategy and tactics in order for all of us to become better and to do better by our customers and our prospects. Uh, We hope you enjoyed listening. We had a whole lot of fun making it. You should see the makeshift studio that we made in my home office (laughs) that is obviously not in Spain. Um, (laughs) This is high end. It's it's a high end. New York City. (laughs) (laughs) Brooklyn Lux. So uh, we hope that you join us for our next series of episodes coming to you. uh, Well, I think at this point, it's like one of like five that's going to drop at the same time. It'll be with you soon. Next week. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks so much. Thanks for tuning in to Target Snarket, a weekly podcast brought to you by Broad Digital Consulting. Our podcast is hosted by Danielle Bilbrook, Kaylee Myers, and Alan Connolly, and produced by Margot Gill. You can always learn more about Broad Digital Consulting on our website, broad.digital, that's B-R-O-A-D dot digital. Or you can find us on social media using the handle at Target Snarket. Be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss an episode. And if you're feeling so inclined, we'd love for you to review our pod if you like what you're hearing. 